you know that every word you speak matters? Are your conversations making a difference? With a passion for words and a heart for conversation, Teresa Velarde is a self-professed word nerd, best-selling author, BizCat 360 columnist, and publisher. Children's books as well as fiction and nonfiction books are welcomed at Weeby Books Publishing and Book Endeavors, the imprints of her company, Authentic Endeavors Publishing. Whether written or spoken, Teresa strives to encourage and inspire meaningful conversations that make a difference. Here's the host of Conversations That Make a Difference, Teresa Velarde. Hey everyone and welcome to Conversations That Make a Difference. I am Teresa Velarde and I'm here today with Dennis Patoko and Mark O'Brien and we're going to talk about um, homelessness, unsheltered. We're going to talk about things to be grateful for. We are a couple of days outside of Thanksgiving and we're happy to be sharing this hour with you. Let me just tell you that Conversations That Make a Difference airs every Tuesday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. with live call-in video shows the first and third Tuesday of the month. And you can listen live on syndicated Dream Vision 7 radio network, online, on your mobile apps, in cars, on YouTube, and by asking Alexa to play Dream Vision 7 radio network. We hope you enjoy our show. And to get started, we're going to, I usually start with the serenity prayer. So let's do that. God. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And today we are grateful to be fabulous, blessed, and highly favored while living in our greatness, using our God-given gifts and talents with passion and purpose. We're making a difference in the lives of others, and all of God's great universe is conspiring in our favor. And it is with great gratitude that we all say, Amen. 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 So let me tell you a little bit about these two good looking guys that I get a chance to spend this hour with. First, we're going to talk about Dennis Patoko. Dennis believes that enthusiasm opens the door, but vision grabs hearts and minds and pulls everyone to the other side. He carries a vivid image in his head of what our future could be. The friction between what is and what could be burns in him stirs him up and propels him forward. When our team is facing insurmountable challenges or our prospect of defeat, he radiates hope, confidence, and possibility. His unshakable optimism and overwhelming confidence in 360 Nation vision is palpable, day in and day out, palpable. We'll try that again. We say that three times fast. Palpable <laughs> Patoko, palpable Patoko, okay. Day in and day out. <laughs> in all of his endeavors, Dennis champions integrity, connection, and radical positivity. Welcome, Dennis. Thank you, Teresa. What a wonderful introduction. I hope to live up to that. I'm sure that you do <laughs> on the daily. <laughs> and uh, the other good looking gentleman here today is Mark O'Brien. He is Mark Nelson O'Brien. He's a principal of O'Brien Communications Group, and that's O'BrienCG.com, a B2B brand management and marketing firm he founded in 2004. He also is the co-founder and president of Einsource, Einsource.com, and he is a lifelong writer. You can see all of his published works, including his latest book, Random Thoughts, on Amazon.com. Gentlemen, welcome. Malcolm Mark. Thank you. Uh, since you published this book, Teresa, can I just throw you a little plug? Sure, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. There's your little imprint right there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Lots of great stories in that book. So get your copy on Amazon.com. They're, they're well-written, very good stories. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about stories of a different kind. We're going to talk about stories of people who are homeless and a, and a passion project that uh, Dennis started, um, and there's this, I have my own story on this, but I'm gonna go to you, Dennis, and ask you, can you talk to us a little bit about how it is that 360 for Good got involved with this project called Unsheltered, and tell our listeners a little bit about it. Uh, of course, um, I've said this to many people, you know, we've been around now about 11 years, 
And as you've already touched upon, everything we do at 360 Nation, we are truly blessed to be able to say it's for good, not for profit. That gives us a whole lot of freedom, Teresa, to do what makes sense, S-E-N-S-E versus sense, C-E-N-T-S, but it's also an obligation to do the right thing. We've been perking along a long time. We have been approached, I cannot tell you how many times, with people that were salivating at the size of our audience on our website. We've got three or four different operations, but our website brings in about three and a half million visitors a year. So a lot of, I'll call them marketers have approached us over the years, wanting to do different things to collaborate, you know, with, um, I guess, our audience and their brains, they were going to make a lot of money. We've always, always said no. The first time we have ever said yes is when I had a chat with our good friend Peggy Wilms about four or five months ago, and we started talking about doing something for good of a much larger scale and entirely focused on the homeless population, and not just the homeless population in America, the homeless population around the world. Uh, that is, it took us about a nanosecond to agree that we were going to do that together and that we were going to do it for good. And it's been a, just a remarkable experience since then. Awesome. Yeah. And I get the great pleasure of being able to be the publisher on the books that will come from this, um, this project. You know, one of the things that really fascinates me about how when you have a heart for something, all of the hearts come together one way or another, whether you have planned it that way or not, in order to be able to um, reach out a hand to those are in need. And I love that you do so many things for good. This one particularly. I Years ago, I was um, volunteering at a homeless uh, um, shelter. It was more of a soup kitchen type thing. And we had um, that movie that came out, and I don't remember the exact year. It was probably 2015. Um, the name of the movie was Same Kind of Different as Me. And it was written, it was from made from a book written by a gentleman named Ron Hall, who changed the face of homelessness in Dallas-Fort Worth area in Texas. And I had my heart right then was saying, I have to tell these stories. I want to tell these stories. And where I was, I couldn't get permission in order to be able to do them because they said it's the anonymity thing. And, and so I said, all right, somewhere along the line, this is going to come around. And here we are all these years later. And the project got passed to you, Dennis, mm -hmm. and involved people like me and Mark O'Brien um, in order to be able to bring light and visibility to those that go um, untouched, unlistened to, um, and are suffering in so many ways. And wow. so much of that population is um, is veterans as well. So Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if I can add just a few things to what you said, um, people have asked us, what's different about this? What's the big deal? What are you trying to accomplish? And you know, I'm embarrassed to say I know so much more today than I knew three months ago because I've researched the homeless challenge around the world. What separates this book from virtually any other one out there or people that have attempted to write about the homeless is most of the books that I've looked at are always scholarly, which means they've done research, they share statistics, they have theories. Uh, what people need to understand is this is written by the homeless population. You know, we have four groups. Number one, the people that are on the street today that are brave enough and kind enough to come forward and tell us how it really is on the street. The second group would be people that used to be on the street and they're willing to share it in hopes of uh, changing some of the false myths that are out there. And then we've got this third group, which is starting to come up. And it's people that have it's somebody in their family. It's amazing when you ask people who's been touched by homeless, how somebody has somebody. Either it was them, it was a family member, it was a friend. And uh, I use the word courage because it does take courage to step up and tell those stories. It's hard to tell it if it's touching you personally. And then the fourth group would be nonprofits that are actually serving the homeless that may have some stories to tell in terms of their understanding of the homeless from working with them every single day. Yeah. And that's uh, those four places where these stories come from. One is as important as the other because mm -hmm. people think they have a, I think people have a um, picture in their minds of how and why the homeless get 
into the street the way that they are, the way that we see them. Um, and I think that that is very tainted by um, the general narrative about what it means to be homeless. Mark O'Brien, why did you get involved in this project? What drew you in? Well, first of all, I'm, I've been a um, fan of Dennis and his work for quite a while. I've been a columnist at Business Catalyst 364. LinkedIn tells me um, about four years. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, because I just love to write. Um, and I had at least at least one sh- story to tell from my own experience. Um, and so I just, I, I thought it was worth doing. And also, um, you know, there's there's a section on the uh, the website that's dedicated to this for media partners. And given what I do, and the fact that I also have a, a radio show on this network, just seemed worth doing. And it's certainly something that warrants having attention drawn to it. Because I do believe there are so many misconceptions about what it even means to to be homeless mm-hmm. and the conditions that cause someone to be homeless and however they came about and however long they might last. And um, I'm, I'm ju- I'll just take a little bit of a tangent here because um, this just struck me as so absurd. Um, I happened to see a program. Uh, actually, it was a news news uh, item the other night about um, a gentleman in New Haven, Connecticut, who became really concerned about the homeless there and had a fairly substantial piece of property. So he started putting up tiny homes and letting people live in those tiny homes. And, you know, there was there was a woman that was interviewed for the story, single mom, two kids. Um, had lost her job, had lost her home. And she was saying, you know, this, this is not only giving us a place to live, but it's also restoring some of our dignity and giving us a place from which to start all over again. So of course, the next person to be featured in the story was the mayor of New Haven, who was saying, well, yeah, uh, you know, we're all on the same side here and we're all trying to see, achieve the same objective, but they can't do that. Um, so, you know, the idea that something as obvious and I'll say relatively simple as helping homeless people in the way this generous, generous gentleman was doing was being hindered by red tape. Mm. That that's That's just madness, it seems to me. That leaves me speechless, and that doesn't happen very often, you know? Well, you know, I will say that uh, I don't know if you remember Pat Buchanan. I don't think he's been uh, active in politics or journalism for a while. He's getting older. But he once said that an Irishman is only happy when he's in the middle of a fight. So I think there's something of that, too. I mean, when I see the absurdity that surrounds this, I just feel like pushing back on it. Uh Yeah. And I I think if we had more people who would do that, would speak out against some of the red tape that it caused it um that comes to the surface when it comes to this particular topic, it's really um I think we really have a responsibility for these people. You know, a lot of a lot of people think that <clears throat> people are on the streets because they have their lives have gone awry with drugs and alcohol. But Dennis, in your research and you've mm. done some worldwide research. I have. What percentage of people do you think, from what you have um, have discovered, are actually there because of the problem of drugs and alcohol that caused oh. them to be homeless? And then on the other side of that, how many people have turned to that because they can't live with the fact that they're homeless? Well, you've answered the question right there. The vast majority, and this is not just across the USA, this is worldwide. Yes, the natural assumption is, well, he's an alcoholic, he's a drug addict, no wonder he's on the street. In the vast majority of cases, Teresa, that happened after they got on the street. And do you know why? They were escaping life on the street the only way they knew how, and that is to escape into the addiction. So unfortunate. Yeah, really unfortunate. Um, And it, it... 
so I have, I have, uh, as I said, have some experience in this. One of the things that really, really um, breaks my heart is that these people are on the street and people who live their life, especially like in city areas, people who live their life walking these streets to and from work, getting where they need to go, so forth and so on. They pass these people by like they're street, street trash, you know, like they're trash. And they don't talk to them. They don't get to know them. They don't know their story. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I have such hope for what what's going on here. Um, but that actually some of them lose their voice, completely lose their voice. They have nothing to say. They cannot say anything to say. I was in um, I was in a local um, coffee shop um, a couple of years ago, and there was a guy who um, who came in to the shop and he had everything he owned on him. It was freezing cold outside. He had everything he owned on him and he was just standing there and everybody just walked past him. And so I went up to the gentleman and I said, would you like something to eat? Do you, would you like a cup of coffee? He could not even speak. He didn't have words in his mouth to speak to me and tell me what he wanted. I had to go through the list and he shook his head. He no longer had his voice. And by the time, by the end of the quote unquote conversation, he had a little whisper that said, thank you. But, and everybody was just looking like there was something wrong with this picture. So it saddens me greatly to see that people who don't communicate, have, have nobody to communicate with, and they so simply shut their voice down because they wow. have nobody to communicate wow. with. There, there is so much in what you've just said. Uh, I, again, talking to people and getting deep into this and other folks that I've uh, been engaged with here, you know, why do why do you pass people by on the street? Well, one of the reasons is if you look at them, then you might feel obligated to do something about it. Uh-huh. You said to them, look, if they say they can't afford, look, if you can't give them anything else, do this. Recognize them, give them eye contact, say their name. You can feed them, you can give them. But if you can't do anything else, because here's the other word that has come up in God knows how many interviews we've now done. Invisible. They mm -hmm. feel invisible. Invisible, exactly. Um, you, you know, Dennis, before you said that, I was actually thinking a step before that um, and connecting it to what Teresa was saying about the uh, unsheltered people losing their voices. Um, I, I think that the first thing that might, the first thing that might go is their sense of agency. So, you know, if they've become un, unsheltered for whatever reason, th they they may perceive a lack of control, a lack of control of their own, own circumstances, a lack of control to be able to keep themselves off the street. Then that leads to invisibility. And I mm -hmm. think those two things, I mean, that would compel me to lose my voice. And you also have to wonder how shame fits into that too. Oh. And, yes. and, and, you know, there are some people I can imagine, I might even be one of them who would have such a difficult time expecting outreach from somebody else, no matter how genuine or generous or sincere, because I would feel ashamed. And because I was on the street, I would feel unworthy and not feel like I could um, accept that thing without incurring even more shamefulness in it well I'm mark not, here, not here, suggesting here, any of that's right but here's here's a good way to look at this uh just take a moment whoever you are and the people are listening imagine you got up tomorrow morning and if you were going to a job none of your co-workers looked at you your family at home ignored you when you tried to speak to them and even strangers on the street kind of went out of their way to avoid you and now imagine that happening every single day. You're, you're like a ghost watching the world go by. Um, so it's being ignored. It's being dehumanized. And back to that magic word, invisible. Mm -hmm. So true. So true. Comment here. In the 90s, I had a church, which this is not my comment, from someone else, um, which fed the homeless and offered clothing and prayers. Um, the county shut them down. Because the kitchen was not a professional kitchen. 
jeez. Oh, you know, um, and here this speaks to this speaks to people who, um, you know, who really out of the goodness of their heart just want to help someone want to do something. You know, how many organizations in your areas, respectively, Dennis, you're in Florida, Mark, you're in uh, Connecticut, I'm in Pennsylvania. Are there places around you that are now in the holiday season feeding those who may not have a place to go for Thanksgiving meal? You know, people want to do something, volunteer, get involved so that there are enough hands, there are enough hands that make light of the work of feeding tens, um, 20, tens, hundreds, thousands of people who are on the street. You know, so do each of you have something in your in your areas that's going on now during the Thanksgiving week? Mark, oh, mm. certainly, certainly here in Middletown, even on Main Street, there's there's more than probably two or three. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got a lot of folks in, in the wintertime, believe it or not, it is in Florida, but it gets cold. Mm hmm. Um, and we've got an, a nonprofit we've been working with for years, and they started with the idea of let's just give out blankets. Now that has expanded to blankets, toiletries, you name it, but it started with blankets. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. happening every Christmas. It happens year round, but Christmas is a big season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this whole this whole holiday season, and the holiday season is difficult for, for a lot of people. It's the time when you most miss your relatives that have passed on. People get depressed. The The suicide rate goes higher. And um, there's a lot of stuff that may sound really depressing, and it is, but it there. how else are we going to learn how to change this narrative unless we bring all of these conversations to the table and to the pages of books where people can read about them and make a decision a conscious decision, having heard the voices or have, you know, going to hear the voices of people who are living this, um, this kind of life, you know, you can make a difference. And that's what the show is about conversations that make a difference. And my hope as we continue after the break is that you will hear something today that will spark an interest in you that you can do something to make a difference for somebody that may have gotten on the street because their mortgage didn't get paid and they got foreclosed on or they lost their job or whatever the case may be. And they need some support at this time. It may be just for a little while. It may be for longer, but you know, for those of you who sit there and say, well, I can't do anything about it. It's a big problem. Start with one thing, smile Mm -hmm. at someone, say their name as Dennis said, and uh, make them feel human again. We'll be right back. With the hustle and bustle of today's world, how often do you take time to practice gratitude? More importantly, how can you make it a habit? The Grateful Hearts community is a group of like-minded people focusing on what's going right and being grateful. Gratitude is more than putting a smile on your face and being thankful for the roof over your head. It's about expanding your perception and finding ways to find gratitude for, in, and through the challenges we face every day. Gratitude is a feeling of connection to things higher than yourself, to God, and to others. We focus on light, positivity, and connections. You make a difference. When we join our grateful hearts together, the power of community attracts more people and even more to be grateful for. Expressing gratitude and feeling grateful is infectious, so let's share it. Join our Grateful Hearts community and watch your blessings blossom. Learn more at gratefulheartscommunity.com and join the community at facebook.com slash the Grateful Hearts community. Are miracles real? Can you move from mayhem to miracles? 30 prominent authors say yes as they share their high fives and down lows of challenges, abuse, addiction, and love. Experience Hope, the magic elixir of miracles through the personal stories of New York Times best-selling authors James Redfield, Dr. Bernie Siegel, Sister Jenna, Reverend Temple Hayes, and many more. If you like bestsellers, chaos to clarity, and crappy to happy, you'll love crying and laughing through Mayhem to Miracles, sacred stories of transformational hope, available now on Amazon and in bookstores worldwide. Did you know that every word you speak matters? What you say and how you say it can make or break a relationship or shift the outcome of any situation. 
Are your conversations making a difference? Faith in God, gratitude, authenticity, and giving are Teresa Velarde's heart. It's in this spirit that she's focused on making a difference in the lives she's blessed to touch. Conversations That Make a Difference is now on syndicated Dream Vision 7 radio network every Tuesday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern Time with live call-in shows every first and third Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern. This is Dream Vision 7 radio network uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow. Welcome back. We are talking with Dennis Patoko of 360 Nation, 360 for Good. We're talking about bringing light to the topic and the problem of homelessness around this country and around the world. Dennis, you were just recently... um, out of the country and yes. you had some you've shared some experiences that you've you've had while you were out of the country with this with the homeless population would you care to share uh absolutely uh, before i do that let me just share something again our book is not a scholarly book but i think it helps to put in perspective another misunderstanding people have and that is well that happens in other countries. We're one of the wealthiest in the world. We don't have that problem or we don't have it the same way. I actually went backwards because I kept hearing that. And uh, I went back and looked at the top 10 countries, developed countries in the world to see where do we sit. Most people said we wouldn't even be there. We're number three. Almost 600,000 people are homeless on a given night in America. And about almost 20%, and believe it or not, are under the age of 18 about 40%, a little over 40% are women, very often escaping abusive relationships. So when you start looking at the stats, we're not putting the stats in the book, but it just says there is an issue here. Now, as far as the trip around the world, um, this kind of goes back to what I alluded to earlier about Invisible. That was my first true experience of walking our talk and saying, my wife and I were walking, we were in Edinburgh, Scotland. We were. This is only about five weeks ago walking across a bridge in Edinburgh uh, late morning. And we're about halfway across the bridge. And I look to my right, and there's a guy sitting there, obviously homeless. He's leaning against the pillar on the bridge. He's got a very small cup. And I turned to my wife, Alan, and I said, that's probably an indication of his expectations. The cup was empty. So I, I felt it was time to do something and walk our talk. So we walked up to him, and I said, hi, my name's Dennis. This is Allie. What's your name? He said, John. And I said, John, would you mind if I take your picture? Now, keep in mind, up until that point, I didn't put any money in his cup. I didn't offer to know anything. The moment I said, would you like, would you mind taking a picture and called him John, his face lit up. It was a smile. Because, and I said, John, help me with this. Why are you smiling? He said, because I'm no longer invisible. Now, the, the, the downside of that for me was, you know, it encouraged us. We wanted to have a longer chat with John. And he was ready because I wanted to get his voice from the street. Unfortunately, the skies opened up as only they do in Scotland. And we all escaped the bridge, as did he. We came back when the skies cleared. John was gone. He probably found another bridge. But that just validated uh, for the first time. And you got to be smart about it. But you can approach homeless people. You can learn from them. And without giving them a dime, you can still make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, the same. It's the same in Scotland as it is anywhere in the U.S. or in any given country um, where homelessness is a problem. Amen to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to make a note about um, making a difference and connect it to Dennis's point about uh, you know this this book or this series is not intended to be scholarly at all. Um, People who want to contribute to this book don't have to be professional writers. Um, They don't even have to be particularly confident in their ability to write because they're going to get a lot of help. Um, There there are a bunch of us who are absolutely ready to help anybody who wants to contribute to this book do it. 
Mark, thanks for that. Let me, that just triggers something else we should bring up because there could be people on the phone or listening in right now. We've had two things happen. Now, keep in mind, when we started this, no one's climbed this same mountain before trying to get stories right from the heart of people that were on the street or on the street. I talked to a lady in California about five weeks ago. She heard about this. She's a great writer unto herself about leadership. And she said, Dennis, I really want to be part of this. I have a story to tell. It's not mine, though. I lost my brother on the street four years ago, but it's still too raw. I can't get myself as good as I can write. I can't put the words in. So we created something. I said, Julie, why don't we do a Zoom call and we'll interview you? I'll interview you and step by step, we'll pull the story out. We ended up doing that. She said it was one of the most cathartic discussions she has had because she got it out and she had to tell somebody the story. I mean, there were tears. And then uh, she's taken the interview back and she's going to now take her time and take away my questions and turn it into her story. There was another gentleman in England who I met through a friend when we were over there. His name is Mark. And um, he's in a wheelchair. He's been uh, in a wheelchair since birth. At age 17, he was cast onto the streets of Belfast, Ireland. He actually was on the streets twice. Through the grace of a lot of good people, he got off the street. He's now in England. He lives in a uh, very nice shelter. But Mark's problem was he wanted to tell a story. He wanted to help, but he couldn't write because of his disability. He was the first time we did one on Zoom and transcribed it. 7,000 words later, we now have Mark's story done and going into the book. So to Mark O'Brien's point, we will do whatever it takes to make those story happen. And as Mark said, if you need help just crafting it, we've got plenty of writers. And, yeah. and I'll, I'll offer one more thing along the same lines, which is that uh, I, I firmly believe that if you can talk, you can write. Mm. You, you don't have to believe that. You don't have to agree with me. But if you think you have something of a story to tell, record it. Record it and send us the recording and we'll Absolutely. transcribe it and send it back to you if you like. And you can add or whatever you want to do to it. But don't don't be daunted by the fact that you think you're not a writer. Yeah. I talk about this process all the time because uh, of my publishing, my um, publishing um, profession that I am, um, <laughs> that God pushed me in. <laughs> but uh, if you if you have a story to tell, you don't have to physically write it down. As these two gentlemen have just said, there are lots of ways that you can um, you can get your story out there, or your story of of a loved one who's on the street, or um, you know anyone someone in your family, whatever, you have a story to tell, there is a way to get it done. And all you need is a recording device in order to be able to speak it out loud. And if you need help, if you don't know what questions to answer, you know, Dennis, how, who can they reach out to? Uh, great, great question. Because let me tell you what my friend John in Scotland did for us. Not only did he smile and educate us as to uh, why, how important that was to him. But I said to my wife after I said, you know what's missing here? Now, I may have just walked up and talked to John. Many people wouldn't feel comfortable doing that. So we came back and we put together, from what we know, the first ever um, street interview guide. It's on our website. And if you go to it, it basically gives you a couple of things. It does just give you, it gives you 20 or so questions. Here are some conversation starters with a homeless person. And you got to be courteous and be careful and, you know, things like that. But the, the the lead picture on that page is my friend John from Scotland. And he is speaking to you saying, look, I am homeless. Uh, be respectful. And basically guiding people through that because there are people that may be listening to their people we've spoken to. They will go to their local shelter and with the permission of the shelter people that run it, and obviously with the consent of the person who may want to help other people sit down and they'll tell their story. Well, then, then what, you, what am I going to ask them? We've got a story guide. I'm sorry, an interview guide for them now. It's awesome. That's awesome. So, and that's on, on where can they look for that? That'll be on uh, bizcatalyst360.com. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Because it's, um it's important that these, these stories get told, you know, it, it's, um, I have to go back to the same kind of different as me. It only takes one, first I'm going to say this, it only takes the flicker of one candle to bring light into the darkness of 
anything. This is a dark, dark subject that people just don't want to face because why? Because the next person to be homeless might be you, mm. you know, especially in this crazy world that we're living in. These are unprecedented times and there's just so much going on that it is quite possible that someone you know and love could end up on the street. When you bring light to something, there is no there is a there is hope that comes from the light and the darkness. And then so from that point, you can start asking yourself, if this were me, what would I want someone to do for me? What would I want someone to know who I am rather than how I be at this particular moment in time? And I believe the answer to that question would be yes for any human being that you asked. Like you don't know me. How how do you, how do you know? what my life is like. And Mark, you're shaking your head. You have something to say? No, yeah. I'm, I'm just nodding agreement, in agreement right? with everything yeah. you're saying because it, it occurred to me because you said it could happen to any of us mm-hmm. if we were willing and able to know some folks to whom it's happened, mm-hmm. we would be that much better prepared. Amen. Amen. Yeah. There you go. Absolutely. Absolutely. And how does that's that's another another great point, because how does somebody prepare for something like this? How does somebody prepare for it? You really mentally, emotionally, you may be able to prepare for it. But, you know, at at least a little bit, because you don't really know what any situation is going to be like until you step into it. Right. It's the same thing like moving to a different city, moving to a different like what's it going to be like? I did that. I moved from Long Island to Pennsylvania. I had to get out of a, an abusive situation. Okay. So <clears throat> I moved here with my son and it was, a, it was a whole new world. It was different. It was different. Did it look similar to where I lived? Yeah, it did. But I didn't know anybody. I had, I had, and, and the people who lived in the house next door to me, simply because I was from New York, thought I was the dredges of the earth and wouldn't even give me the time of day, you know? So <laughs> how bizarre is that? Mm. You know, there, there's, there's certain kind of people, there are people who are compassionate and welcoming. And then there are people who just don't give a flying flip, you know? Let, let me add something here. Cause you're, you're, your thoughts here are just meshing so well with what we're discovering. As Mark knows, uh, my wife and I were in New York uh, two weeks ago. I was there to actually, I don't do it very often, but I went there to give a speech about the homeless. And uh, we discovered a couple things. There were only maybe two dozen people in the audience. Uh, Two of them had homeless in their background. They were homeless. They're going to tell their stories. But the other thing I did, I wanted my, I don't even call it a speech, my conversation with these folks. I wanted to just share some things with them, some stories I told them about John. But I, we also did something we've never done before. While we were, and this is not a shot at New York, I just happened to be in New York. Uh, they haven't solved the homeless problem, in case you've heard. Yeah. So walking along the street, I said, I started asking people randomly, what's your first thought when you see a homeless person on this street? Amazing how many people answered the question. I'm going to give you some of the answers here. Number one, that could be me one day. Number two, poor bastard. Number three, we have a lousy safety net in this country. Number four, I am so lucky. Number five, but for the grace of God, there I go. Number six, get a damn job. Number seven, repulsed. Number eight, annoyed. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on and on. But these are random, random people fresh off the street. I mean, fresh questions off the street. And I took those, that survey right into this audience because I wanted to, this is not a theory. I just walked your street out there and this is what I heard. And it didn't surprise us because a lot of people would have these opinions. Um, you know, I, I I mentioned the fact that I was on someone else's podcast Um I think it was last week. But one one of the things that occurred to me because of the nature of that conversation was that in some ways, um, the whole COVID experience was a gift in that um, it compelled people who 
realized as a result of the so-called shutdown that they were losing connection and mm -hmm. losing connection with people. And it's just not an accident that Zoom, this very platform, exploded during that time because it enabled those conversations. Um, and I don't believe these converse, this conversation or conversations like this are virtual. There's nothing virtual about this. We're talking to each other. We can mm -hmm. we can see each other. I'm 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 having this thought now because you were talking about the safety net. And I think because of what we went through in in that COVID experience and the ways in which we were, I hope this is not controversial, we were made dependent mm -hmm. on the government in particular. I think a lot of us are rethinking the notion of safety net and coming to the conclusion we're the net. We 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 are the safety net. If we're not willing to do it for ourselves and each other, we don't have any business thinking the government will do it. Um and I'm and I'm just going to give you one really small example. Um it actually happened to be almost a year ago. It'll be a year ago in January. My my mom passed away after the funeral mass. We had a luncheon at a restaurant, and then we invited people to come back here. So we were expecting an army. So we went to this Italian deli, and we ordered more food than you could possibly even imagine, and the army didn't show up. So we took all of that food to the St. Vincent de Paul kitchen shelter, on Main Street in Middletown, and we had no idea that people would appreciate the quality of that food as much as they did, because typically what they get is like canned stuff, donations, things like that. So even, even something as seemingly insignificant as making a meal, and and bringing it to a shelter or something like that is going to make an enormous difference. And aside from the fact that if you do that, you will be part of the safety net, there's no way in the world to predict how you might motivate or inspire somebody mm. who's there to do something. Well, I could I could cook and anything like that. And and who knows? <laughs> Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, I this is tangential, but I said to to Sarah Shea, I'm sorry, Sarah Spear, um, in my own program yesterday, if I hadn't gone to an event at which she was presenting a startup business idea, I never would have called to ask if I could have my own show. It was meeting her that inspired me to want to do this. I had no idea before I went to the event at which I met her in June, that this would happen. So, you know, I, I think if we can sort of uh, put our minds to what we can do and what we contrib can contribute and sort of take ourselves out of the what if or prediction business, I think we can only be amazed at what might come from anything we do. I agree. Totally agree. Totally agree. And we have to go to another break. So when we come back, we're going to talk about gratitude, what it means to you, and how um, gratitude can actually change the world. So we'll be right back. In order to be healthy and happy, there are 24 areas of your life to balance. With the All Things Wellness Wheel, you become self-empowered, allowing you to make healthier decisions about relationships, nutrition, sleep, exercise, stress, and even your value system. The All Things Wellness book series, written by Peggy Wilms and Dr. Marcus Vetstein, teaches you how to balance your wellness wheel in addition to sharing true stories from multiple contributing authors. Book one, The Fourfold Formula, and book two, Win the Wellness War, We Are Responsible, are now available on Amazon. Amazon. Reserve your spot now to become a published author in book three, Wellness GPS, Get Prepared for Success. Visit www.allthingswellness.com slash authors for more information.
are we here? How can we be happy? Questions asked from millennials to boomers. Crappy to happy. Sacred stories of transformational joy answers them using true stories of grit, grace, and love. James Redfield, author of The Celestine Prophecy, wrote in the foreword, This book is a seminar about emerging truths and offers grounded solutions through the art of the comeback. Dr. Bernie Siegel, a contributing author, wrote, Bodies die, but spirits and consciousness survive and recycle. So grab some tissues, open your book, and prepare to cry and laugh till it heals. Crappy to Happy by Reverend Ariel Patricia and Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis. Available from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and booksellers worldwide. Do you have a personal story of hope or kindness to share? The Daily Gift book series, which began with a daily gift of gratitude, now available on Amazon, continues with a daily gift of hope and a daily gift of kindness. And we're looking for people just like you to share a story. Your daily gift of hope story might answer one of these questions. Is there a time when you felt hopeless and someone stepped in to change your view? Have you been an example of hope for someone else? Is hope something that you've always had? If so, how do you keep that hope alive? With hope, we have more energy and a purpose. It gets us out of bed in the morning. Daily Gift of Kindness might be your chance to talk about recognizing and spreading kindness to change the world. Practicing kindness lifts your spirit and your mood, warms your heart, and helps to navigate your way through today's challenges. Has an act of kindness from a stranger turned your day around? Have you ever paid it forward to someone or for someone? Your story matters, so visit dailygiftbookseries.com to find out more about how to submit your story for a daily gift of hope and a daily gift of kindness. Your stories make a difference. This is Dream Vision 7 Radio Network, uniting mankind with universal love. Our shows are created from the heart, bringing each listener to a place of divine enlightenment. Breathe, relax, and enjoy. Let life flow. And we're back with Dennis Pitoko and Mark O'Brien. I just want to talk about A Daily Gift of Gratitude. <clears throat> I put this book together with about 100 different people last year around this time. We launched it just before Christmas. And there's all stories of how gratitude is alive and well in their lives and how um, a grateful heart is a hopeful heart. Um, so the next book, Daily Gift of Hope, is in formatting right now. And both Dennis and Mark have a story in there um, to share. And there's, I think there's 80 stories in this book. And then the next one coming is kindness. And those three things, gratitude, hope, and kindness, if we just bring a little bit of that into our daily practice, we can make life better for ourselves and those around us, those who we touch. You would be more, from, from my own experience, because of the fact that I live with a grateful heart, I know that I would be the person like Dennis that would go up to somebody on the street and talk to them. So, you know, adopt these, these, um, these topics, see where you might have a story to tell, um, for those books, as well as for um, for Unsheltered. You know, one, something that happened a while ago that ended up being a project to help the homeless. Um, I was sitting in church one day and the pastor said, what do you have that you can use to make a difference for somebody else? And they're like, oh, well, that was right up my alley because I just, um, I'm just, this is who I am, right? So, I, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I'm a potter. I'm a ceramic artist. Mm. And I have, lo I had lots of clay. I said, well, I have clay, you know? So what I did was I put together a, um, what they call an empty bowls project. And I gathered lots of hands to make these bowls. And it's, it's a whole story in itself, the way it all came together. You know how things, and they just like, one thing happens and then something else happens that makes the first thing validated and then it goes down the line and down the line and it gets easier and you see looking back exactly why everything happened the way that it did. That's exactly what happened to me. And I ended up with bowls made by Girl Scouts and church members and whatever. And we went and we had a simple soup supper. 
And one person that we invited was this woman who um, heads a project called Ugly Quilts. So are you guys familiar with the Ugly Quilts and what they are? Mm-mm. No, not at all. So Ugly Quilts are things that like people have blankets and quilts that they don't use anymore, or comforters that they don't use anymore. They stack them up and they make like sleeping bags out of them and they whip stitch them and they put them, put them all together. And then they take old neckties and they put them at the end so that someone can roll it up and roll it out easily if they are homeless and they give them away to homeless shelters and they're a hands-on project and you can, and there's a lot of people who are doing this now to help to keep homeless warm, especially in places like Northeastern Pennsylvania, where it's freezing cold and Connecticut is freezing cold um, mm-hmm. in the winter. And as you have said, Venice, Florida is even cold in the winter. So and then they put um they put um a bag of toiletries in there so that someone who needs this will have it if they have to experience homelessness. You have no idea how many people showed up to do something for someone else. When you put it out there that you you want to do something to make a change or make a difference, like tell these stories. It just, it, it seems to take on a life of its own. Dennis, are you experiencing that? Oh, amen, we are. You know, and I I think about that, particularly where we all know there is just so much darkness out there. Call it politics, call it the war, call it everything going on in the world. And it's just, I've said this a million times, it takes so little to do so much for so many. It doesn't take a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know if this is going to make any sense either, but I've, I've, I've been sitting here connecting dots and Dennis, given the comment that you just made about darkness, I just, I, I want to share this. Um, thank, thanks to Dennis and some others. Um, there have been discussions prior to what's going on in the Middle East right now about um, the uh, increase in anti-Semitic behavior and attitudes, et cetera, et cetera, in the United States and the, and the world. And and I tend to, um, I I tend to see anti-Semitism as a form of ignorance, and I have this notion that ignorance informs fear, and fear informs anger, etc. But it seems to me, and I also connect this to the notion of being the safety net. What you just said, Teresa, gratitude, hope, and kindness are the antidotes. Absolutely. To 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 ignorance and fear and anger. Um, and if, if we can cultivate that, and, and I, and I think you're right, it takes something, it only takes something really simple for someone to do, to have it dawn on them that a, they've just made a bit, uh, a, a difference and B, they can do it again and maybe and they can do something. Let me add, and, and it doesn't have to be overwhelming. I just, you know, Mark, I know you're a movie buff. Uh, you remember the 1991 movie city slickers? Yes, I do. Uh, one it's, thing. Yeah, one thing. This guy in Manhattan, he's turning 40. It's it's Billy uh, Crystal. And, yeah. you know, they take him out and they want to do a roundup or something. But there was this guy, Jack Palance, the actor, yeah. played a guy named Furley. And they went through all this stuff. And they went through this, you know, discussion. And Curly said, you know, he said, one thing, just one thing. You just stick to that. And the rest don't mean shit. And uh, <laughs> Mitch turned to him and said, well... What's that one thing? And Curly said, well, that's what you have to find out. Let me just say, and I know we're coming up on Thanksgiving and being grateful. My wife and I are blessed that we're, we found our one thing. We've learned that it's just, there's just no exercise better for the heart and soul than reaching out and lifting other people up. Now, that's just one thing, really. You can do that in a lot of different ways. Talking about the homeless today, the people listening today. So, you know, I said it earlier, if you see a homeless person, just do that one thing. If you have a dollar, give it to them. But at first, make eye contact, smile, get their name. Because John, my good friend now over there in in uh, um, Scotland, we gave him the gift of visibility. And that is a gift that we'll continue to give. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. The and, one and thing. Th- this, is, this is something that I've, I've done on occasion, arguably not as much as I should, but if if you happen to be in a place, there, there's there's actually a store near here uh, outside of which there's almost every day a, a homeless person, the same homeless person. If if you're uncomfortable, 
approaching that person. And my wife is uncomfortable. She has no idea what this guy is like, what he might be capable of. You you could go in the store and you could buy things and say, would you please give these things to that gentleman outside? And, you know, given the time of year we're in, you could even say, well, just tell him it's from Santa Claus or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that'll make a difference. This is a ridiculously small thing. But somebody... I don't even remember from whom I got the idea. It wasn't my idea, but I've adopted it now. Every time, for example, I go through the drive-through window at Duncan, uh-huh. I always pay for the person behind me. Uh-huh. I have no idea who's behind me. Uh-huh. But I know when I drive out of there, that person is going to drive out after me and be thinking, wow, wow. And who knows what that person might do? Maybe they'll pay it forward, Mark. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Yeah, and that have you seen that movie? Pay it forward. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah, powerful. Yeah. Powerful. And the Duncan, uh, there's one there's one locally here where there's always people who are homeless that are standing at the end of when you come through the drive-in and they they've got a sign or whatever. More often than not, I will go back around in the line and get a gift card and hand it to them on the same on the on at the other end when I come back out. People say, "Why do you do that?" or "Why do you give them money?" I don't give them money if they're looking for something to eat. Let them decide what they want. Pay for it with whatever you know, five, ten dollars, whatever I have a day, to be able to give it to them. <clears throat> Little and, and I, I think you just said what I was thinking. Teresa, and it's what Dennis suggested. It 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 doesn't have to be big. It it's almost more effective if it's not because you don't yes. you're not being showy about anything. Mm-mm. It's simple. Even other than that, you know, um, it, Dennis, you got the gentleman's name. Uh, it, there are there are homeless people hanging out at grocery stores all the time, no matter where you are. So, you know, just look at them and say, hey, how's your day going today? They will talk to you. They will talk to you. Um, some of them will hang their heads. And in that case, maybe it's, you know, it's just a bad, a bad day for them. Every day, every day, you know, if, if somehow, some way, we find one thing to be grateful for every single day, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of our um our beliefs, if you find one thing, it will lift you up. I encourage a daily gratitude practice. So be grateful that you have, and don't go through the same thing over and over again. You're like, everybody says, I'm grateful I have a roof over my head. I have this, I have this, I have this. And it's the same thing over and over again. Challenge yourself to step outside of your little box and say, I'm grateful that I said hello to John today because now, now he's a good friend of mine halfway across the world you know, and can share his story in a book that will make a difference for somebody else. I see like I have, God has given me the ability to see like how little things make a big difference. That's why I named my show Conversations That Make a Difference. Hello? As Mark knows, knows, I have a real affinity for quotes. And I was going to give you a quote that I picked up in my travels recently, because people say, once again, you're not going to change the world. Well, we're talking about one thing, as Mark said, it doesn't have to be a big thing. I was going to say I'm going to quote from my good friend here, but I'm not old enough. Mark probably is. I'm going to quote from Mark's good friend, Gandhi. Um, In a gentle way, we can shake the world. That's what we're talking about here. Absolutely. Absolutely. We only have a couple minutes left. Mark, tell people how they can listen to you on Dream Vision 7 Radio Network. You have a show called The Anxious Voyage, which you yeah. please with when you when you are on air and thank you um yeah they can just go on on dreamvision7radio.com and look for the anxious voyage and they'll find it um we're live the first and third mondays of every month at 1 p.m and so the show repeats at 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 1 a.m as well and i just want to make something i want to say something in response to what dennis just said if you believe you can't make a difference you won't exactly powerful mark but if you believe you can, you absolutely will. And, and that's you will. The you, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. Yep. So which will it be for you? Dennis, yep. how can people get in touch with you? Uh, two ways. I want to give some uh, a shout out to my uh, co-conspirator for this thing, Peggy 
Wilms. And if you go to allthingswellness.com slash unsheltered, you're going to find anything and everything you'd ever want to know about what we're up to here. As far as me, you can come to bizcatalyst360.com. And Mark, your contact information? Um, I guess just go go to my company web address, which is obriancg.com, or go to Amazon and type in Mark Nelson O'Brien. Although um, I discovered yesterday there's a problem with my author's page that I'm about to fix. Awesome. All right. And I just want to say thank you to both of you gentlemen for coming and having this conversation with me. It's a it's a tough conversation for many people to have. And you guys have helped me to bring light to people who may not realize exactly what's going on outside their own little circles. So for mm-hmm. that, I'm immensely grateful. And I am looking forward to a nice Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to all my listeners. Um, and please take some of this conversation to heart. If you know someone who has a story that they want to share, um, if you can just encourage them to be, uh, you know, just be kind, be kind, be grateful, pass hope on to somebody else this season. And we'll see you next time on Conversations That Make a Difference. Tune in next time for Conversations That Make a Difference with host Teresa Bellardi every Tuesday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern with live call-in shows every first and third Tuesday on syndicated Dream Vision 7 radio network. Thank you for listening, and thank you to our producer, Rachel, and to our station owner, Deborah Beauvais, working behind the scenes. Be sure to go to conversationsthatmakeadifference.com for your free gift. Make sure your conversations make a difference.